Every single one of us has a relationship. Ooh, I like that, but it's going to mess up the mic. Ooh. Every single one of us has a relationship with someone you've known all of your life. This person has been the closest one to you through thick and thin. In fact, I bet most of you can't think of a single day in your life where you haven't had at least some contact with this person. And your relationship with this person is really, really weird. Sometimes you think this person is the greatest thing. You're so glad that they're part of your life. And then other times, you just you loathe this person. You just wish they'd take a, take a cruise, a long cruise, or a vacation in Luxembourg or something. Just get away. In fact, there are days when you wake up and you look at this person, the person that is staring at you when you comb your hair or brush your teeth. You have mixed responses when you think about them. Of course, I'm talking about your relationship with yourself. You deal with yourself 24-7. I don't know if you think about that much, but you've got to deal with you all the time. I do. I think about, you know, I'm not trying to be egocentric here. You just do think about yourself and who you are. Philosophers throughout the ages have asked the question, who am I? One of the most famous, uh, famous philosopher, besides Plato and, and, and Socrates, I know I mispronounced them, okay? It was, yeah. <laughs> was a man by the name of Rene Descartes. And Rene Descartes was one of those philosophers that was way out there. He thought about the matrix concept way before the matrix even came out. I mean, this was in the 1600s. And he was thinking, he, he started wondering, who am I? And he went so far as to even think, am I really even here? Now, I know some of you this morning are wondering that. And, but it has to do with sleep deprivation. Rene Descartes was actually very, very well. Uh, he was wondering, am I really even here? And he said, you know, you can't trust your senses because what I touch and feel, well, I have dreams sometimes and those dreams seem like they're real, but they're not. I wake up and they're not real. They're just, they're just facsimiles of reality and so they're not real, real. And so he started thinking more and more about this, and he said, what if I'm being deceived? What if just the, everything that I see, and it's very much like the Matrix. The Matrix got this concept off Descartes. What, what, what if I'm just being deceived, and everything that I see and I think that I feel and think that I know really isn't really there? I'm just thinking about that, or I'm, I'm, I think I'm sensing these things, but I'm really not. He says, what if there's an evil demon that's trying to confuse me and I'm being, I'm being confused? That's when he came out and said, the only thing that I really know, the only thing that I know for sure is that I doubt everything. I know that for certain. And that's where his famous phrase came, I think, therefore I am. And for Descartes, it was, a, it was the, the, the ground of everything. Just because I can think that, that I'm being deceived, well, even if I am being deceived, there has to be an I in there somewhere that is being deceived. So I have to be. Now, I know, you're thinking, whoa, the dude had way too much caffeine going on early in the morning. But, but you know what? We struggle with the same exact things. You struggle with who you are probably more than any other question. I know I do. And there are voices we hear, voices from our past, 
perhaps from our, our upbringing, perhaps from peers that we were a part of, perhaps from, from school experiences, athletic experiences, past jobs, whatever. You have things that, that ring and start to tell you who you are. In fact, I did a little Google search and I did a little bit of work on my, this myself and I came up with one of the top 10 things. If people are say, what do I get my identity from? These are the top 10 things, according to me. So uh, no one else thought of these. I mean, I can't, I, yeah, some of these came from Googling and I can't, I'll be honest that some of them I just thought these are really cool. So here's top 10 things. Number one is work. What do you do? Man, that, that question gets asked all the time, right? What do you do? And that's an important question. Nothing wrong with that. But do you get your identity from that? A lot of people, when they retire, they get ill almost immediately afterwards, and some of them don't live long after retirement. Why? Because there's some sense of identity with what they do. And Second one, athletic achievement. I know of this one because I never did. In fact, this week, I was... Uh, <laughs> I always wanted to be great at something. I always did. I thought, oh, if I could just be great at whatever sport. And this week, it just, I went, I was an FCA uh, for Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I was their chaplain at their golf camp. And we played uh, scramble, which means you pick up your ball and bring it to the best guy's ball. And then you hit from there, and then you pick up your ball and bring it to the best guy's ball. Notice I'm saying I pick up my ball all the time. So <laughs> I'm in this group with this 15-year-old kid who consistently hits the ball 330 yards off the tee. I'm not kidding you, 330 yards. I mean, he put it to the edge of a trap, and the trap was 350 yards to the green. I, I'm shanking mine off into the woods or whatever, and, and you're starting to feel it a little bit. It's funny after a hole or two, but it's not later. <laughs> Third one, do you measure up to your own definition of success? What does it mean to be successful? He's a successful person. What does it mean? Pastors are horrible at this. What does it mean? How big is your church? That's a common one. How much money are you guys bringing in? What is your definition of success? Do you get identity there? Others of you get identity from music or poetry or literature or movies or the arts, I want to say. There's something that makes you come alive. You find your identity in that thing. Others of you, uh, and many of us are there, your marital status. Or, if you're married, you thought, well, if I just got married, I'd be happy. Then, my wife's in a nursery, I can say this today. Um, then you deal with it on, oh, well, if I just had harmony in my marriage. <laughs> anyway, um, no, no, marriage is a good thing. I'm all for it. I'm pro-marriage. Give the tape to Carol. It's all good. But you get, you get your identity from that, whether you're single or married or divorced or whatever the situation may be. Next, you have Children. Oftentimes people go into marriage thinking if I just had, mar if I just had uh, uh, my marriage partner, I'd be happy. They get married, they're not happy. So they think, well, there's something missing. I know I'll have a kid. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. They are great for about 15 minutes. And then, <laughs> and then they're, just, they're, just, they're just little people with little selfish needs. And babies are the most selfish things in the world. Wah! Feed me. Like I fed you yesterday. What's the big deal? change me, whatever. How much power do you have is another one. Are you a powerful person? Are you the one who makes decisions around here? And I link with that money. All money really is is the ability to make your own choices, right? Well, who cares, right? I've been talking to people this, this last few weeks who've gone through some financial struggles, and I, I've just been telling them, you know, money's way overrated. 
I'm, I'm being very serious. It's way overrated. Now, I know that's easy for someone to say who doesn't have a whole bunch of bills lined up. What am I going to do with them? And that, that, is, that is stressful. College students, you ain't got nothing. But it is the, one of the freest times of your life. Enjoy it. Enjoy not having anything. Enjoy sitting on a chair that the only reason it's still together is because of the wonders of duct tape. <laughs> it's a beautiful time. Your family of origin. It's not so much in this country, a little bit, but in other countries especially, you know, in countries especially where there's a caste system, or it matters what was your, your bloodline, who were you, where did you grow up. Your peers have a lot to say with who you are. A ton. Some of the remarks by my peers to this day, if I dwell on them, they bring me down. It's funny, you don't remember the great things people said about you. You remember the things that people ripped on you. And last ones are reviews or grades. If you're a student here, okay, these are things that I think top ten. There's, there's other ones, of course. But some of the things that we start to think with ourselves as we deal with who am I, that we start to think, all right, am I doing well? If I'm doing well, then I'm okay. If I have problems right now in any of these areas or other areas, then I'm not okay. My aim today, I just want to give you flat out, my aim today is that you will, from this point on in your life, always be okay. If you get today's message, if you really grasp what Jesus is going to say in John chapter 6, from this moment on, you should never have a day where you're not okay. Now, I'm not saying every day is going to be easy, and some days are going to be much harder than what you're faced right now. But if you put your identity not in this stuff, but you don't let that define you, but you let what, John, what, what Jesus is going to talk about in John chapter 6, if you let that define you, every day you're okay. Every day you're going to be okay. If you've got a Bible with you, open it up to John chapter 6. We're going to look at uh, this continuation of this part where Jesus has, uh, has um, fed this 5,000 people with bread, and then he goes on to talk about himself being the bread of life. I want to read last week's, just to kind of give you the context. We really should have done this in one week, but it would have been one very long sermon, so we've kind of been breaking it up a little bit. Jesus, we're going to start in verse uh, 43. Jesus says uh, to them, Stop grumbling among yourselves. Excuse me, I'm going to pick it up in verse 41. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Okay, remember, they're picking on Jesus' bloodline. They're trying to rip him apart. You're, you're nothing. You're dead, mom. They're poor. They're carpenters. You're a nothing, Jesus. How can you possibly say, I came down from heaven? Jesus answers back with a very firm understanding, a very good self-assessment of who he was. And this we're going to talk about how Jesus' self-assessment from verses 43 to 51, how that impacts us. Okay, verse 43. Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Oh, what a beautiful picture. Jesus saying, here I am, man. Here I am. I'm right in front of you. And you're grumbling about something I said. The very one that you 
claim to worship, you're, you, you're religious about, I'm right in front of you. I tell you the truth, verse 47, he who believes has everlasting life. I am, and he says it again, I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here, standing right in front of you, is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And here comes the zinger. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now, just... I want you just to follow a little bit. I'm going to show you a slide. It's just going to take you through John chapter 6 and the progression of what Jesus is teaching. Okay? First of all, in the first 15 verses, he just feeds them bread. He does this miracle. They all think it's the coolest thing. Yoo-hoo! Do another miracle. That was awesome. The loaves, those little loaves and those little fishies. Now we got lots of fishies and lots of loavesies. Sorry. But you got, we got lots of food. That was awesome. So he feeds them. Then... Second thing is he offers them, he says, he says in John 6, 27 in a passage that, oh man, I encourage you to just spend some time looking at this passage, John 6, 27 through 29, it says, do not work for food uh, that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. And they ask him, what do we have to do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered back, the work of God is this, this is awesome, the work of God, did you want to do the work of God? Here it is, to believe in the one he has sent. John 6, 29. Beautiful passage. So he says, don't work for food. So he takes this bread metaphor and he starts to shift it. Third thing he does, and he says, I am the bread of life. Okay, shifting it even further. Then he says in verse 51, which we just read, this bread that I'm talking about is my flesh. Okay, now you're getting a little weird, right? Made the bread thing, that was okay. This metaphor is going fine, but now you're saying it's your flesh? Now, I'm gonna, we're going to read this in just a minute, but I want to show you the progression. He's going to say in two verses. Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Okay. It's getting weird. Starting off with this nice little analogy, and now you're talking about cannibalism? Let's, the plot thickens here. Let's pick it up right after, after verse 51. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, by the way, this is perplexing. There's no doubt about it. This is hard stuff. But it's more in the spirit that they're saying these things than it is that they have questions. I think if they would have said, you got to toss me a bone here. I, 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 I was just hanging on to the bread of life thing, and now you're talking about the flesh. Uh, I want to understand this. Could you help me? I think Jesus would have been a little bit more, you know, but when they say, you're nuts. Your parents were from Nazareth, nothing. And now, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus now starts to get a little tricksy in his words, which makes it even more difficult to interpret. He just, right back at him, says, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. See, it just, it's like, whoa, where is this going? 
Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died. But he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. So he's still in that same, they went across the lake, remember? They sought him in Capernaum. Now he's in the synagogue. He's teaching there. And he gives them this. It's like, whoa, man, what? Now, many people have tried to interpret this passage a lot of different ways. The obvious thing that people have often interpreted this passage is, is saying that this refers to the sacrament of communion or Eucharist, as some people would call it. The body and the blood of Christ are represented in the bread and the cup. I, I'm, I'm going to just shoot straight with here. I just don't know. I'm not sure. I, I really don't know. I'm not sure if Jesus is doing that here or not. I don't have a problem with if he does or if he doesn't. So whichever, wherever you land on that, it's fine with me. Because I think the real meaning of the, the, the communion meal, the Eucharist, is the same meaning as here, so I guess he could be talking about it. The strongest case why, and I, I think this is somewhat convincing, is that in the book of John, John never describes the Last Supper. In, in, in the last days of Jesus, they never talk about breaking the bread or anything, and, and many people think that this is the point where he brings it up. Well, could be. Could be. It's just not real clear, in my opinion. Um, but if, if you hold that, that's fine. But the question even deeper then is, what's the meaning of communion? Why do, you, why do you take a little, rip off a little piece of bread or, or a little flat bread, whatever your tradition is, and eat it? And why do you take a cup that's supposed to represent Jesus Christ's blood and drink it? Stop and think about that for a second. That's kind of weird. You know, on President's Day, we don't think about all the presidents and break bread and say, this is George Washington. <laughs> Here's his blood. We don't do that. That's not how we normally remember people. And yet this is what we do with Christ. There's something going on here. Something very important going on here. And I think it's this. I think the fact is, is that we celebrate Christ more than just who he was who he is, more than just who he is, who we now are because of him. Who we now are in him. And he's in us. Now, it's the, the theologians throughout the centuries have called this the mystical union with Christ. And it is mystical. And, and when we get done today, it's even going to get more mystical. Mystical meaning it's a mystery, not that it's La La Land. I don't mean that. I just mean it's a little bit out there. How do I understand this? Christianity is not a religion. A religion is a set of rules, a set of systems, a set of thinking, doctrines about something. That's religion. Christianity is Christ. The living Christ. We're not here looking at systems and thinking and how do we understand it's about Christ. Now, let me give you an example since I play golf all week. Um, golf is about a white ball. 
usually white, and you tee it up, you smack that sucker as far as you can down the fairway, and you hope to get it into a little hole with as few strokes as you can. Anybody have an update? Anybody got an iPod right now? How's Tiger doing? Anybody? No? Okay. Uh, British Open right now is going on. Anyway, that's golf. That's what golf, that's the essence of golf. If you were to say that golf is about training videos, it's about working on your swing, if you were to say that golf is about sitting in the clubhouse talking about the round, no, that's not golf. Now it's an important aspect of it, but it's not golf. When you think about Christ, when you try to understand the way he is, you try to understand doctrines, that's an important thing. But it's only important when you come to the source and take all that information you have and play golf. Christianity is Christ. You're united with him. Look at this passage again. I want you just, I want just to highlight it. If you could flip the next one. Uh, there we go. That's you. In this passage... I just blackened out the stuff that doesn't describe you. If you believe this, it says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. So the one who feeds on me, that's a great way of thinking about it, the one who feeds on me, the one who is in me, the one who makes their meal, I'm their meal, the one who does that will live because of me, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He is the bread of life. So the most important question then that you can ask yourself is, who am I in this relationship with Jesus Christ? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ here this morning, way more happened than just your sins got erased. Hey, that'd be good enough. That would be good enough. But there's way more. There's a phrase that's used throughout the New Testament, and it's just these two words, in Christ. Sometimes it's with Christ or through Christ, but it's all this understanding of that somehow we are in Christ. I like to think of it like this. By the, by the definition of yourself being okay, you have to be wet. You have to be wet. Besides, let's just pretend for a minute that no one here is sweating. So you're dry right now. And what you do to get wet is you jump in the Jesus lake. And now you're in the lake, and you're wet. And you feel good, because wetness means okayness. I'm looking at a bunch of blank stares. That didn't work so good. All right. Works for me. That's maybe a little scary. <laughs> I want to read some passages to you as we close this morning. I want to read some passages and one quote by one of my favorite old-time preachers. As I'm struggling with identity, as I'm struggling with who I am, as I'm starting to loathe myself and think about, no, you know what? It's way more important that it's about who I am because Christ is in me, because I feed on the bread, because that's what nourishes me. I want to read these passages to you. First one's from Ephesians. And if you ever struggle with self-identity, um, I would encourage you to write down these passages and, and meditate on them. I underline the phrases in Christ or through Christ or with Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 says this, starting in verse 3. Praise be to the, this is, this is Paul speaking. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's who you, who you are. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Do you believe that or are you more concerned about your checkbook? 
Now, checkbook's important, but this is way more important. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. That's who I am. I've been chosen before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. I've been adopted into God's family in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In order that we, who are the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. Get that? God, we are... Just by us being who we are, it gives God glory. God gets praise because of that. And you were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. When those tapes start to spin in your mind, an apparent or a guardian, or a teacher said something, you know what, you'll never amount to anything. Hey, bub, I'm the praise of God's glory. Hmm? That's who I am. Don't listen to that. Listen to what God says about you. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But, oh, it's a beautiful but in Scripture, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ... And seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Stop right there. Did you read that? That's all past tense stuff. When Christ was raised from the dead, you and I were raised. Not only that, right now, and here's where it gets mystical, but just hang with me. Right now, you and I are seated in the heavenly place. That's what it says. And seated us, past tense, with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That's where I am. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed to his, in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore remember... That formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and are called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the uh, hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, 
You who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are in Christ. If you are in Christ, everything has changed. Your whole outlook on everything has changed. Your identity now is that you're in the water. You're wet. I'm wet. I'm continually wet. I can't even get dry. I'm just wet. All right, I got to find a new analogy. That one is not working with you this morning. Bart, you got to fix my analogy. That's your job, man. Bart, for 20 years, has been fixing my, or not 20, but pretty close, 15. Yeah, fixing my analogies. All right. Two of the passages that I go to that I memorized as a young follower of Christ. Galatians 2.20 and 2 Corinthians 5.17. Galatians 2.20. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Isn't that great? I've been crucified with Christ. You have. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And lastly, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Paul says, therefore... If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. How do you look at yourself? Do you let the things of the world and the, even the things you try to tell yourself about you be true and that's what defines you and you're having a rotten day? Or do you let those things be circumstances and you say, you know what, I, sorry, I'm going to use the analogy again, warning, I am in the ocean, I am wet. I don't care what you say. I'm never getting dry. I'm just wet. All right. Charles Spurgeon. He's one of my new favorite guys. I, 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 not new. He's been dead a long time. But uh, Charles Spurgeon, a uh, famous preacher, has said this about being in Christ. If this be the union which subsists between our souls and the person of our Lord, how deep and broad is the channel of our communion. There is no narrow pipe through which a thread-like stream may wind its way. It is a channel of amazing depth and breadth, along whose breadth and length a ponderous volume of living water may roll its strength. Behold, he hath set before us an open door. Let us not be slow to enter. This city of communion hath many pearly gates, Every several gate is one of pearl, and each gate is thrown open to the ut uttermost that we may enter, assured of welcome. If there were but one small loophole through which we could talk to Jesus, it would be a high privilege to thrust a word of fellowship through the narrow door. How much we are blessed in having so large an entrance. Had the Lord Jesus been far away from us, with many a stormy sea between we should have longed to send a messenger to him to carry him our loves and, to, and bring our tidings from his father's house. But see his kindness. He has built his house next door to ours. Nay, more, he takes lodging with us and tabernacles in poor, humble hearts that so he may have perpetual communion with us. The whole idea of communion, when we celebrate communion, is John 6. Now, I don't know if Jesus was referring to that specific instance or not, but it certainly applies. Christ is in you, and because of that, everything is different. You are not defined by anything that this world has to offer. You are defined by the fact that the Son of God loved you and drew him to, to, your, to himself. Now, I'm going to close with just a simple question. 
What are you going to let define you? It's very simple. What are you going to let define you? If you are shaken to the core of circumstances, what, in your, what, in, what you're letting define you is what the world's top ten, whatever your top ten is. Whatever that top ten is, for you, you're just letting that define you. Or are you going to let the bread of life define you? The one who's in you. The one who changes you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I think about this passage. I, I am humbled to think about all the learning I've done, all the seminary classes, and now working on my doctorate. And those are good things. The reality is, the most important thought any one of us in this room can have me have is that uh, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Christianity is about you, Jesus, about a living, personal relationship with the risen Christ, the one who this day stands before us as the bread of life. Lord, I don't know everything that was brought into this room. You do. You know every single concern that was brought into this room. And you are, and I don't, I don't even know the right questions to ask, but I know the answer. The answer is to eat of this bread of life and to drink deep of your sacrifice for us on the cross. That is the answer. So Lord God, would you teach us to ask the right questions through life? Would you teach us to be people who are hungry for the real bread and we would not satisfy for little nibbles that our world's top 10 has to offer? God, in a room this size, there'll be people here who this morning are struggling whether or not that you're even there. Jesus, would you just show yourself to them in amazing ways? Lord, there may be others for the first time in their lives want to bend their knee to you and say, Jesus Christ, I, I've been following all kinds of other things. Today I want to choose to allow you to be my Savior and to be my Lord. I want to follow you. God, for others of us, we have went through that process and yet we daily struggle with trying to let other things give us identity. Jesus Christ, you're the one that gives identity. Nothing else. So in the quietness of our hearts and even as we sing here, as we close, would you bring to mind, as Tim said before, those altars we're dancing around, those things that we're trying to make define us that aren't you. And God, you'd give us the courage to turn from those and turn back to the real bread. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.